So on this episode, I chat to Hammy Baker, who is a professional sailor. We cover Hammy's journey from a young age into sailing, um, including some core memories with his parents on Strangford Lock and how they actually shaped his future career decisions. Then we get to chat about his solo sailing career and the craziness that goes on in that world, um, which was completely new to me. Um, hearing stories of how to survive on sleep in 20 minute bursts and trying not to destroy expensive boats in the dark. Then we also talk about some of the challenges on living that lifestyle in terms of living contract to contract and um, being away from home. It was really good to have Hammy come on and share his experience as a professional sailor as it's, it wasn't something I knew a lot about. So I hope you enjoy and I'll catch you soon. Hammy, thanks very much for coming on the Coastal Catch-Ups. Great to have you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Sam. And that I know you suggested getting out <laughs> in the water, but I think you made the right call being indoors tonight. Yeah, you you said about if we'd been on a, a Draskin lugger, we'd been wearing oilies, <laughs> and I'd say the sound quality would not have been as it would have been uh, it might have been good content, but it might not have been good to listen <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to start um by asking you, Hammy, how much do you love sailing? <laughs> uh, I'd probably get. Uh, a lot of my friends nearly wind me up or especially even Lisa she would probably think she comes second to it sometimes I guess but, um, yeah no I think I've always had an affinity to the to the sea or sailing or not I wouldn't say just sailing like it's hard to beat when I was a kid just going out rowing or going around with a we had a little um, I think the rule was and I that'll kill me if I can't remember all this I'm sure he worked hard at the time to get into my head but you had to be able to tie a bow line where you could then go rowing and okay. you'd be able to go rowing so when you ran out of fuel you could get in and then finally you graduated to get given the little uh, three horse Yamaha or whatever we had to mix the fuel and stuff which was a good way of knowing like, where I was because you'd run out of fuel uh, and just tossing around the meringues and stuff with the coil and just you know I think getting that water confidence and just like yeah. you know, I think I think I fished for crabs and drove around in little dinghies before I ever saw a sail yeah yeah um, so what age was this up? This well, I mean, we, I think there's a picture of mum and dad's hall that I'm, they went for a family cruise to Isle of Man mm-hmm. when I was six months old. So I'm like, my baby grew and I think dad was cursing that there's like teeth marks or blood or something on the steering wheel from when I was teething and things like that. <laughs> um, but so from my earliest memory, our very first boat actually was a wing 25, which is still at the coil. My brother actually bought it and sold it there. Mm-hmm. Like coil, uh, and then they had a Moody 33 when it was three. Mm-hmm. That's the first boat I remember. But we just used to family holiday for west coast of Scotland, or maybe even just a quick weekend dark glass or something. But you were as soon as you finished school, it was down to the coil. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but again, not necessarily sailing. You know, it was the whole way dark glass. I'd be doing laps of the boat in the wee dinghy until I feel and it will get bored, and mm-hmm. or until it was time to come and get dinner type thing. It was your playground almost then. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. Um, and you know, I went to school 
like in a Belfast service, not anyone else really sales. Maybe it was like within the release that you you finally got down there and you were more at home there and your friends were at Coil. Yeah. Um, get out of town and get down to the water and greenery. Yeah, well, it's actually, I always remember like Friday nights because, you know, you come in, like obviously mum and dad are scrubbing the house out and getting us fed and all mm -hmm. the rest. So by the time I get to the Coil some nights, it might be late on, but it was always going out to the meringue at night. Mm -hmm. I remember when you went out because it was so dark, the oars giving you the phosphorescence and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I don't even know what age it was, but I just I remember that, that side of things. And then waking up on the meringue, mum's got breakfast on the go or whatever, and you just jump in the dinghy. And yeah. then you're ashore, and I don't know, the weekend yeah. flew past, and you're dreading Sunday nights to come and finish your homework that you went out on, you know. But like you couldn't, I think we were very privileged or lucky in some ways to be in that mm. position, but at the mm. same time, like, you know, we didn't need. Other distractions didn't cost a lot of money once we were obviously parents have to have a book, whatever, but mm -hmm. certainly just being away from the the real world or whatever to some extent, being not the off for the weekends was class. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I loved each podcast I've done, I've kind of chatted to people and early on in each chat I've got some clear like core memories. <laughs> and I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Um I think it, it obviously has a real impact on the tra trajectory of people's lives and like where they um where they end up. So yeah, um, do you agree? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think yeah. it's um, I think especially back then where it might be different now, depending on when you get your first mobile phone and on the social media and see what other things are in the world. Yeah. Like maybe we wouldn't have been as invested as spending our weekends at the club and mm -hmm. all the other distractions that people have nowadays. Yeah. yeah. But equally I think that's all the more reason that it's a way to escape all of that mm -hmm. is when you do finally just get down to the weekend mm -hmm. and realise that, you know, you don't have to mm -hmm. take pictures or post anything or mm -hmm. just just enjoy being down for the weekend. Yeah. Going forward then, um, into your teens and uh late teens, what what were you up to in the water? What was going on? Um well, I always, I always wound up being a good junior scene down the coil. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, well, there's so many that still sail now, some that don't sail or you know, you, mm -hmm. but they were definitely more friends for life than um, people I remember from primary school or not. Mm -hmm. But we had a, there was like seaweed fights where you might have like, I think an old dinghy, I don't know what it's called, the McGowan's had it. Mm -hmm. But you know, we weren't sailing it, we are just rowing it, and then we'd throw seaweed from the dinghy ashore and they were throwing it from the shore out and it was like the Normandy landings or all this <laughs> nonsense you know um and then we did get into the sailing and racing because my first so I did have a few boats like I had an optimist and a bird dinghy and things but mm -hmm. like weren't we're just messing around in the old wooden things mm -hmm. um first actual boat was actually a topper when I first got into sailing <laughs> mm -hmm. yes Christmas actually I remember uh, I think mom and dad laughed at Christmas dinner in it or whatever but something <laughs> brought me a first topper and it was well, I called it pink, and they uh -huh. called it magenta. Right. Apparently, but it was, it was pink anyway. <laughs> um, and we did the sailing at the coil, and actually, I didn't really like the sailing, like the windy stuff or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked being out on the water, mm -hmm. but I wasn't mad keen on. Like, I was actually pretty. I uh, wasn't under the whole cap size mm -hmm. stuff, you know. Um, I think a lot of kids hard to start with, but I was probably surprised myself where I'm now, considering. How cagey I was about it at the start, mm -hmm. um. But I loved it so much that I just remember Dad saying, 
you don't ever have to sail or race the boat, but like you can't ruin it if you're not going to use it, so sell it. And I don't think they were ever going to sell it. I think it was just that was a ploy to make sure that I achieved. I think every time we launched, I'd come back in in tears or didn't want to go out. And yeah. He wouldn't push me, but he'd say like, "That's fine. Like you don't need to, but the boat it's going to get sold if you're not going to use it." Mm-hmm. And that was me to right. Well, I'm going to have to grin and bear if I want to keep this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Smart, smart move by your dad. Mm. Um. So your mum and dad were actually involved then in the sailing scene, junior sailing scene? Yeah, I mean, from memory, um, so dad would normally drive the work boat, I guess. He was mm-hmm. sort of tinkering around, making sure that was out, and we would pull all the regattas. And then I remember different parents, like Brian Crawford and stuff, might give us a, okay, guys, we're going to go to the Narrows, there's lots of tides, mm-hmm. so the tide work like this, and they've got the whiteboard or mm-hmm. you know, sticks on the ground. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think at that point we had any official, like, dad's coach, mm-hmm. but he's parent, like, I remember the the Murphys, the pretty uh, you know your ideal family and everything has to be perfect and mm-hmm. training them. But Adrian would always be have the lunches ready and there was somebody. I'm sure they've had little chats amongst themselves as who was doing what in the day. Mm-hmm. But for us as the kids, like you know, to talk to them about the food, talk to them about like how to get yeah. towed. And there was a session that we're going to tow, so you'd like you all need to know how to tie a boat line, mm-hmm. like how else we're going to get you there. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of I think parents invested a lot of effort and time mm-hmm. into our sailing, mm-hmm. I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think it would have been as successful. So it wasn't that it was the high quality, bringing all the top coaches, it was just more they were really ensuring that we were doing it for the right reasons and enjoying the day rather than trying to tick any boxes. Yeah, the best volunteers um, and facilitating that as yeah. well. So and I think, you know, they still, on the way down, like I still remember there's a few beers or a bottle of wine and stuff like yeah. they were, it's not exactly like they were torturing themselves to do it yeah but, yeah. Uh, yeah it was definitely more for us kids at the time than for yeah. them yeah yeah you might be doing that now soon would that be yeah yeah I don't Could know. Be on well, the, the the scary thing for me is thinking the price of boats and stuff so I think um I think for my daughter it's definitely going to be the same path she's not getting something expensive for the first boat it'll be uh out of a, maybe a recommissioned flower bed that's turned, <laughs> turned to float again to get her into it and learn how to fiberglass and, and stuff and <laughs> maybe i get her into golf or something where like she can pay for my sailing but, yeah. Uh, yeah careful yeah. what you wish for and all yeah. like you know i definitely i would love to get her like what we did as kids i think it's huge not just getting in sailing but just the life skills for Things a lot for when you don't have your phone with you and you've got that water confidence and just mm-hmm. being around the sea mm-hmm. helps in every aspect of life or at least if things are tough in life when you finally get down you get a weekend there and get your head charred like mm-hmm. you've nothing more relaxing than just all melts away as soon as you get down to the club yeah yeah, yeah. important pass that on um yeah good life lesson yeah so um you were so you're sailing as a kid. Your parents played a big role in that, facilitating that. Did they end up uh, once you started getting a bit more serious, end up driving you about the country and things like that? To um, yeah. Well, I think I think at the time, the good thing is you you do what you do at the clubs, mm-hmm. and then you know I happened to race the topper, so you race them with the topper class association. Mm-hmm. And there might be an Irish Nationals. Yeah, I think the first time it happened was like, oh, the Irish Nationals are like a Stratford Rock or mm-hmm. something. So well, we better go to that because it's close. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say we were going all the way to Cork or whatever for the yeah. first year or two. But yeah. 
we do those events, we do some of the travellers and then, you know, I think also mum and dad got tally with some of the parents mm -hmm. and then other friends from the club travelled, so now you're kind of going as a little team and actually probably a standout event was we went to the Copper Worlds in Karnak in 2004, mm -hmm. 2014, um, and I think we must have had at least a dozen sailors from the club, but then every parent, and then there's there's people that I remember being club members. I'm like, like what are you doing? You don't have kids. <laughs> so like it was a full club on tour situation, yeah. but actually it was class, yeah. and I actually still remember some random memories. Like Liam McKeaton had a, I thought he was wearing his flip flops at the, in the evening, but actually it's such bad sunburn you could still see the lines from it and stuff. So like. <laughs> It is a fantastic event, um, yeah. and even now, every time you're at the club or an event, people reminisce or talk mm -hmm. about, oh, I think uh, someone fell off their bike, I think Joanne McGowan fell off her bike or whatever, and even now people go, oh, Joanne, you know, you're not cycling at home tonight, are you, and things like, even though it was that long ago, people still bring it up, yeah. so stuff like that definitely stays in the mind, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like all around Northern Ireland, actually, at that age, I was probably getting into the squads so the RA um, in Northern Ireland had a top junior squad and toppers and then they had youth squad and lasers mm -hmm. um, and we'd go up to Cushion Doll and stay for the weekend and do like, you had to do trials and then there's fitness tests and there's training sessions and then you meet those guys and then you're all talking amongst you know dad's like well we're not going to go to the nationals in Cork and then oh no we've got to go because half the squad are going like all my mates are going to be there so it kind of grew and grew, and I think even now, talking to mum and dad, they just got me into the sport because they did it. Mm -hmm. But it was probably, they pushed me into doing the sailing, that pushed me to the racing, then my mates mm -hmm. pushed me to go to the events, and then they got dragged, and then it all just was sort of mm -hmm. self-fulfilling. I don't think they ever sat down with a plan, we're going to turn it into a professional sailor, any sort of nonsense like that. It was just a, whoever supported doing what he wants to do with the sport, I guess. Yeah. Did you enjoy the competitive side of sailing? Yeah, I think... Yeah, no, I definitely did. Um, I think it's more you get so involved in the sport. Like even though I still have gone out in like some old wooden boat where mm -hmm. I'm looking at it, oh, there's no way I make this thing any quicker. That you know that rope's a bit frayed and it's not perfect and it's actually just as enjoyable because it's for the cruising and the, just being on the water. Mm -hmm. But definitely something about how can I make this boat go quicker? Mm -hmm. How can I move in a different way or can I replace that or does mm -hmm. that block? You know, does that sail need to look differently? the guy next to me mm -hmm. i think it's you get a lot more in depth about what's the wind going to do next what's the water doing mm -hmm. how do the waves affect it that you're really the racing itself i think gets you a lot more in touch with the nature of what's mm -hmm. going on rather than just splashing and paddling around yeah yeah it's a bit more thought behind it and yeah like asking you're really, all those questions yeah you're really appreciating like what the cloud's going to do next and then what's mm -hmm. you know even now if i'm at a a restaurant with a sea view or something. Mm -hmm. I can't help looking out going, oh, that cloud's going to be in the middle of the ship. Mm -hmm. It's going to go right. And mm -hmm. if it went right there, the way that beach is lined up, how are we going to get in and try? You know, mm -hmm. I'm not racing, but I'm going to go to the window assess and like if I was in a boat, what would I, would I go left or right to get to that lighthouse? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't really help yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you'd be the same. Like I'm not that bad, though. No. Not that bad. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the life of a party if you ask me <laughs> People know not to ask me about boats, otherwise it's, uh, well, it's your fault now, you're going to have to yeah. suffer it now. But. Yeah, you're here now, I may as well. Very good. So the squads, um, after the squads, I imagine like probably 
18 should be wrapping up the squads, finishing maybe school. Yeah, so I did. Then. Well, I think I always, I didn't ever have Olympic aspirations, but I always wanted to try and do as good as I could, like with a laser, like mm-hmm. with an Irish or something. Um, you know, felt like I was competitive, but I wasn't, I wasn't beating the top guys in Ireland really at all. But I knew I wanted to keep doing it, so I went to I actually went to university in Jordanstown mm-hmm. and studied engineering and mm-hmm. raced the laser at Valley Home, mm-hmm. and then had little goals like right, I want to win the Chiefs Night Series or I'm going to win the Icebreaker this year, whether mm-hmm. you know it's a decent event, it's mm-hmm. standard. And I think twenty, what would have been like early twenties, I think I won the Icebreaker. Mm-hmm. Like ticking off with little boxes of like, well, I'm not going any further than the laser without really having to apply myself. But mm-hmm. there's other distractions with uni, and, but there was some sort of maybe like a failure to launch that I also could not bear the thought of like going to an office, even so when I fin- so I had that. No, I didn't remember having like a big chat moment that round. But like when I finished uni, I definitely wasn't applying for jobs straight away. Like mm-hmm. it was, I worked to get the degree. Because you're told, you know, you need to have a degree and you need a backup and whatever. But then, um, as soon as it got that out of the way, like it did feel like I was getting that out of the way to then go and have a look at other options. Yeah, you got a bit of paper and ram sort of. Yeah, and unfortunately, I only got what is it, the Desmond two two or whatever. So like, I wouldn't, you know, I probably could have applied myself a little bit more in uni. Uh-huh. I was always in school quite good with, um, like I'm quite dyslexic, so actually in school I was really good at technology and art uh-huh. I could get I think I got like A's and C's and A level because mm-hmm. I picked um, subjects that the coursework give you your mark before you really even have to do the exam but yeah. in uni with that chill of exams it was tough enough so mm-hmm. um but yeah I ended up randomly I'd done a little bit of keyboard sailing or a fair bit of keyboard sailing when I was doing lasers and stuff before mm-hmm. uni and knew enough about the different sailing options and things but I ended up going to Cowes Nile White which is I guess, sort of sailing hotspot in the UK mm-hmm. and got working for the guy, Brett, who, I mean, even now I think I'm back in my memories with Fuzzy, I stayed in like a little room in someone's house and the rent might have been like 90 quid a week or whatever it was. So I just had to make enough to cover that and food. Mm-hmm. And I would maybe take a yacht off the pontoon, put it in the slings, give it a fire hose and then launch it again the next week. So all these mm-hmm. guys are coming, all the rich guys from London would come down and use the boat at the weekend. Mm-hmm. So we would tend to their boats, maybe splice a bit of some ropes mm-hmm. uh put the dehummer dehumidifiers onto it like whatever needs done just to keep the running yeah going um and then i got into doing the etchels this type of boat down there it's quite big but there's a lot of like x or well not just x sort of big names or pro sailors but a lot of decent sailors in the fleet and there's a guy like graham sunderland it's a big name down there he wrote like a whole book on winning tides mm-hmm. So I remember we sailed the Etchells and then I got sailing with him and the guys on a yacht down there. So I was basically getting racing twice a week mm-hmm. and those boats and learning from him about tides and even how, when he wrote the book, he was, he went out, I think he said he must've gone out every day for like two years with a rib and chucking like little sensors in and getting all the, all the data built up and everything. And it was just like fully immersive. It was class. It mm-hmm. was, but I wasn't making it, you know, I'd spent the money I'd made every week. I was, just staying even, but at least yeah. I was enjoying myself, you know. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I hadn't thought anything more about what to do next mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> um, but you were having a good time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it was good because you meet people or you see a different perspective or the actuals are class book to sail. And then someone's like, oh, well, if you like it, actually, you like the dragon. So I went and did an event in the dragon. I was like, mm-hmm. this thing's crap. Mm-hmm. So 
you start to find out what sort of racing or boats you're into and you know every everything every boat's a slightly different creature you know mm-hmm. some boats i'm really really bad at sailing other boats like i really know what i'm doing in. so it's I, I think it's yeah some boats you have to change your perspective and actually work with the boat a little bit and just accept that it's slow and heavy and don't try and force the issue because you'll actually just make it go slower again mm-hmm. yeah um and then there's other boats like nowadays with the moss and america's cup and everything up in the air and hydrofoils mm-hmm. i've not done enough of it to have a real valid opinion but it's like for i don't know if it'd be the sort of sailing i'd like because it's like the tactics and everything's completely different you know like you want to limit the maneuvers whereas i like the sailing where you're doing tons of maneuvers you're, yeah, yeah. Up, you're trying to beat them out of thinking better than them or out, outsmarting them or better maneuvers whereas even if it's the right tactical choice in some of these new fast boats like the tack or the maneuver itself so costly yeah. that it's nearly worth just going the wrong way at least if you're going fast and stuff yeah, so yeah. it's yeah different sport um nearly but yeah, so I didn't, uh, I kind of started getting a bit stuck in cows. And like I did cows week, and I think we won the RC Nationals. And that came on, uh, it was a guy, uh, David Franks, a straight dealer, JPK, mm-hmm. uh, something or other. And we won the Nationals. So like I felt like, God, I've actually done okay. Like, done all right as an amateur sailor type level mm-hmm. stuff, you know. And I was thinking, right, I'll go home now, get a job and sail for fun. And mm-hmm. I've got enough out of the sport. Um, so what happened then? Well, the I think that happened was like so I got quite friendly with the guy Rob Bunce and there was the Artemis so there's a Artemis Academy for offshore racing basically and they were having their trials mm-hmm. and Rob and I were sitting in Fairview which was a pretty famous pub back then I don't think it's even there anymore but said well sure we'll go do the trials because I think mm-hmm. it was a Monday to a Wednesday three days whatever and mm-hmm. it was in um, in cows and in pool. So like yeah we'll apply anyway so i don't know how many people apply i mean but there were six of us invited to go into these trials like mm-hmm. the in-person part so we arrived did like okay pretty standard we're at like a snc gym did a fitness test some stuff in row machines press-ups whatever mm-hmm. okay cool what's next when are we going to do this ceiling stuff um and they had some weird quizzes like you could redo your gcse exam right and if you you know whatever grade you got was worth x points or you could, you could and stack I think they had carpet piles and like a sail bag and you had to move it from one side of the gym to the other mm-hmm. but every time you did that you get like 50 points mm-hmm. so I could just do that all day and get tons of points or I could do like one um, yacht master theory question get it right and get like say 300 points but the whole point of it was if I'm asleep I'm not making points so they never told us don't sleep but they did say like if you want to win these trials you probably are better to just keep going so the test was actually about how do you perform like sleep deprivation and stuff and like what right so, okay so i think we we got into this thing where i was like right well i'll sleep for 20 minutes i wake up move the carpet tiles do something and go sleep for another 20 minutes uh-huh. and then someone else just powered through but then they were like toast like yeah. the last day they're just bubbling around being no use and other uh-huh. people actually were like right i'm going to bed i'll see you in the morning so if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the coastal catch-up newsletter where you can keep up to date with all the new episodes you can do it at www.coastalcatchups.com. Now, so, back to the episode. And how long, how long did this last for? Sorry, like Three days or something. So I think it was... I think it was did you know your... Before you even arrived, did you know this was part of the... Mm, I can't remember what the way the application worked, but I remember when we got there, we had like the briefing of, you know, this is what the program's for. This is like the end goal. Uh-huh. Is there anyone who wants to tap out now? Type thing. Yeah. 
uh, we're like sure like I mean I only ever did it because it was just a really cool thing to try and do mm-hmm. if I'm honest I hadn't really heard of the type of boat or the race or anything like mm-hmm. what was the next stage mm-hmm. it was like kind of learning on the job sort of mm-hmm. but then so the trials were great you know there's things like team building there's other bits where like you were really trying to screw each other to beat the other guys mm-hmm. um, and then finally on the last day they took us down to the big rows which is the Spenacle Figaro, so the boats were famous for a race that was sponsored by the Figaro newspaper, so mm-hmm. that's where we got the name. Yeah. Um, and we sailed them back from full, oh yeah, we got to do a sea survival course in the full lifeboat station, which was pretty cool, okay. part of the test, so we're all completely fried, and they just bar hosed us in all that crap with like a wave machine on for like two hours, <laughs> just to completely ruin us, and then we sailed the boats back to the cottage, and honestly went back to the PRV absolutely had a whatever dinner was and a pint because we're all just thought I was class and I was great fun. But then just carried on like normal. Mm-hmm. And then I got the invite to say like, you know, you and Rob were actually um I think there's three of us from the trials mm-hmm. got invited to join the programme, but there was another one or two who were like they were invited they might have come like runner up in the trials the year before. Mm-hmm. So they were invited as like so we ended up with like four of us. And they sort of brought us in and said, like, so this is the program. If you want to take it, you know, we're going to take you from now till Christmas. So mm-hmm. this is September time. Yeah. Training in cows. And if you if you do well, then goal is we'll give you, like, a contract. Like, you get a boat. You get the campaign for the year. All paid for. If it doesn't go well, you've had fun and see you later. Mm-hmm. So we did all the training. And, like, I would sailed loads of different boats. Like, I'd sailed lots of single-handed stuff in terms of dinghies. Mm-hmm. I'd say lots of keelboats with screws. Mm-hmm. But all the stuff we did in cars was two-handed. And I thought it was like the most fun I've sailed in boats. Like with mm-hmm. two people, it's like the perfect mix because you can still push the boat hard enough having two people on board, but it's a whole different ball game when you actually having to do a bit of everything rather than mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just trim one sail or just yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then at the end of that, they just said, right, you three are, like your boat is number, like, so I had 23. Mm-hmm. So then it was sort of started setting. It's like, right, you've been given like 30 odd foot yacht, and you're t- we had to sail to France, and then that was it. Like, your whole year's planned. Like, you're going to go to France for coaching. The races, there's like three or four races throughout the year, but the big one's the Solitaire de Figaro. Yeah. It's like a month, it's like a Tour de France style, like a month long um, race, stopping at different ports in France, yeah. Ireland, UK. Uh-huh. So it was all like, oh, well, how do we get ourselves into this? And But then it just, but then it was actually definitely probably when I learned most about sailing and myself because now you're living alone and even like so when you race the Figaro you're completely alone they're like uh-huh. single-handed offshore boats uh-huh. so even the training races is like right we're going to do a training race this weekend but rather than most sports where it's like right nine o'clock till 12 and then you have lunch and you're done or have a debrief we're gonna right we're gonna meet the boats do a tuning session in the morning do what you want all afternoon go surfing do whatever uh, and then we're going to meet at the dock at 8 o'clock again because it should be dark by then. And we're going to do like like a night race. And that might be from 8 o'clock that night and you finish at 2 o'clock the next day. Uh-huh. And the coach just sits here to quick right. The course is from here, around that island, around this island and back. Mm-hmm. So it's not like windward leewards or mm-hmm. short course stuff. It's just like a navigation thing. Mm-hmm. So then you learn more about navigation yeah, and the tides and, how to, and the weather and a lot more. You know, when you race a dinghy, it's what's going to happen in the next five minutes, what's yeah. going to happen in the next 30 seconds. This is now getting into 
what's the ship going to do in an hour's time or tomorrow mm -hmm. morning or what time does the tide change direction down in the inshore or offshore for it. Um, but it was, God, I mean, it was, uh, you were just trying your best to keep up because the French guys were unbelievable. And we could be quite good. I think we were quite good sailors in terms of starts and tactics and could, you know, probably give them a good nudge boat for boat. But the concept of like, you have three days, three, four days to race, but you're on your own. So like, if you want to sleep six hours, you crap on, but you're going to wake up in last place. Yeah, yeah. If you don't want to sleep, good idea, but good luck the last four days. So it was a... What, so what do you do? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, there's no, I don't think anyone you anyone talked to is bigger. I don't think there's ever a comfortable way of doing it. Like yeah. by the end of it, you are still wrecked and it's yeah. probably not great for you. But like, for me anyway, we figured, or I figured 20 minutes. So I'd set the thing for 30 minutes, uh -huh. knowing that I would get like sleep for 20 minutes. Uh -huh. So I got like, it's amazing how good you can get it actually. And I even still do it now today. Like when I get, if I lie down a sofa or go to bed, I can probably be asleep within about two minutes. Uh -huh. And equally, if it's a big noise or something wakes me up, I could be on my feet and go do something again. Yeah. Like I'm not milling around, knocking yeah. in the cupboards and stuff. Yeah. Um, so you had like a sleep alarm, which is literally like an egg timer. So when you, so I had, it was the best way of putting it was, is the book going fast? Yes. Is my tactics good? Am I going the right way? Yes. Are the sales trimmed? Well, yes. Am I hungry? Yes or no. If yes, eat. If no, next one. Are you thirsty? Yes, no. And if you answered yes to everything, it's sleep. So you sleep at two o'clock in the afternoon, you sleep at two in the morning. Like it's not like, oh, it's nighttime, better get some sleep. Like you end up probably sleeping actually more in the day sometimes because yeah. at nighttime, um, I find anyway, at nighttime I was more awake because there's less it's, stuff happening in your eyes and your senses were heightened, you're listening yeah. and you're hearing. Well, daytime's cool because it's bright. You can have a sleep uh -huh. and then like, you know, just open your eyes, have a quick glance at the window and yeah. assess the situation real quick. Whereas nighttime, like, you wake up and you it takes you a good like ten minutes to really figure out like oh, is that light that that's the same light you're there is, yeah. is that a fishing boat or is that what's going on here and then yeah. you can get yourself really disoriented so yeah. I find nighttime is like my push time okay and daytime is like my rest time yeah. or it might be you're going to be going along like twenty knots of wind on a really tight awkward reach and you're going to yeah. have to drive for six hours straight so unfortunately it's going to suck just get it done yeah. but then you're going to have a nice long um. DMG downwind in mm -hmm. 10 knots of breeze. Mm -hmm. What does DMG so, mean? Uh, velocity made good. <laughs> so like Ac a, Acronyms. <laughs> yeah, basically um, imagine uh, you're going down a country lane with lots of twists and turns, right? Uh -huh. You're going to be awake for that, but now you hit the motorway, put cruise control on, that's your time to, well, definitely not your time to sleep, but yeah. it's going to be the better time if you're going to have fall asleep at the wheel. So that's yeah, kind yeah. of what it was in the bigger, because we actually um, had a autopilot so in fairness, you never really drove the boat. Like the boat would be driven by the computer. Yeah. Okay. Um. So when you got really good at trimming and using the computer and understanding the technology, it was quicker to let it drive. Like yes, you could maybe beat it in like a thirty-second stint by you feeling it and seeing the waves that you're about to hit and adjusting for it. Yeah. But over the course of a whole day, how fatigued you get doing that is like a net gain is to use the pilot even though you're slightly slower at times you're actually faster long term yeah um and then you, it means you're rested and you can sleep and you can trim sails and you can feed yourself and things so yeah it's uh pretty cool and actually the big bit was you couldn't have a phone you weren't allowed to just like right that's all set up and go down to 10 minutes now or get on a call and say, how are you all doing what's happening back there what can i 
person, like you're not allowed to contact them, yeah. otherwise you could be getting the big teams could pay for like a tactics guy to be giving them all the information from shore or something. Yeah. Okay. So you had two private radio channels to talk to each other. Yeah. They were monitored by like the race committee. Okay. And outside of that, so basically I'd say there's times where bar singing along to a song or something in the music, um you probably didn't speak for like two uh-huh. days. Uh-huh. Uh, which is Pretty, I don't know, it's tough, but at the same time, you felt pretty good when you finished a bit more detox that you weren't, your head wasn't yeah. on your phone worrying about what's going on in the world, you know? Yeah. Sailing on your own. Yeah. Sleep fatigue, or you're tired, you're navigating, you're at night, your senses are heightened, you're listening. You're, uh, yeah. Um, how do you, like decision making and stuff like that, did you ever struggle with that or did that? Blue chart you met. Yeah, well, I mentioned I think, earlier help with that, like sim- like simplifying the process. Almost. Well, I, I did. Um, I mean, I'll admit, like I did. So I did two seasons of Figaro, and like mm-hmm. I think I was getting to the point where I was probably getting into the top end of the fleet at times. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't proclaim to be like I was good at it, but mm-hmm. like the standard of the Figaro guys or the guys who are winning the Figaro or like ex Olympic sailors or guys mm-hmm. who are winning Sunday Globes race around the planets, like this mm-hmm. is like their training or playground, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I definitely was getting better the more I did. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because when you go from a dinghy where it's like, well, it happens every 30 seconds and boat to boat, like within meters of each other, it's a very different concept that when you're yeah. offshore, it was more, you are going to be tired. I am going to, I'm not going to be thinking straight. Mm-hmm. So I had, um, you have a computer on board that you can download the weather. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you've got the race course on the computer and you can actually see your own boat speed and heading and track. So okay. There's a lot, if you get the, the displays in the boat to give you the right information, mm-hmm. it can literally give you like a pro or con, like, you know, okay. this number should be X. If it's not that, you're sailing too slow, like trim the sails or you're on the wrong course. So like, and because you've got time to think about it, I always had this like five minute rule. So like the winds could shift. So you should probably do a maneuver mm-hmm. rather than a smash maneuver. And it's like, right, well, is it going to stay that direction or? I need to move things downstairs first before I pack the boat because it's easier to throw things downhill than just to pack yeah. and then go, oh, I need to move everything across now. Yeah. I wanted to ask about any close calls. Um, I suppose my worst thing I actually had was delivering down to the start of one of the races. I had a sandbank, uh-huh. which actually wasn't the chart. I was just, yeah, we were tired and delivering Super. down. And, <laughs> uh, I, boat sort of sat down onto the keel and the keel so in the figure like the boat sort of suspended in the cradle so you can't really set it onto the keel okay so the boat now puts its weight onto the keel and the keel popped the ribs so the basically pushed the hull of the boat up a bit uh-huh. popped all the ribs off the inside around the keel box but there's already water in there so then i looked in and thought well i'm sinking or something uh-huh. next um so bits like that or one of the nights we're racing there's like three of us in a row <laughs> and uh one guy sailed along. I thought he'd just pack the boat, head back out to sea for whatever reason, but I couldn't understand why because we were getting, it was good where we were. Yeah. Turned out you've got two rudders to steer the boat and turned out the heat of the rock, which damaged his rudder. So his boat basically like tacked on him. Like a per- he didn't actually mean to do the tack. He was like tacking off because of hitting the rock. Yeah. Um, the boat behind me then bumped the rock because I could see like his uh, nighttime, you can sort of hear the rigging and you can see the nav lights do like a shake. So you know yeah. it's not a, he's either hit a big wave or like slammed in a wave or he's bumped off a rock. Uh-huh. But I didn't hit anything. But I'm, but when I looked at the map, like I just, you know, the guy in front hit something. 
I sailed onto Pennington, and then the guy pulling the exact trap behind me hit the same rock he hit. <sighs> so it's just one of those, oh, that was yeah. lucky, but actually very good gains. Uh, but I think there's a lot of that in that class. Like there's, um, there's a friend of mine, Robin, hit a rock in one of the races. It might even have been the same race because I think he hit mm -hmm. it earlier in the day and mm -hmm. I did like retire. But I went to see, and this book was on the hard, I went to see, like, right, where's the damage then? And first thing you do is, like, look at the keel, because it's like, well, if you hit this seabed, it's going to be down below. Well, there's, like, good keel's fine. It's like, I thought you hit a rock. He's like, yeah, mate. And the front of his boat was caved in. <laughs> so, like, he'd hit a rock that was, like, so up and down that he had enough depth of the keel and managed to, like, <laughs> keep going the rock. The rock. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. In oh. Or, actually, I had a real embarrassing one, but, um, yeah. I no sails up, not racing, motoring up from the pontoon. And I T-boned the harbour wall in Torquay. Because I went, I put the autopilot on, I went to put the mainsail up. And uh, the autopilot turned the boat. I can't remember what it was trying to, like what happened if I hit a button, if it was trying to recalibrate and do like a spin or something. But by the time I got back, I could choose between hitting concrete, the wooden sort of post or uh -huh. like a ladder. Uh -huh. But I was definitely hitting something, like I couldn't split it down in five. You had to choose between them. <laughs> so uh, luckily I think I managed to just land somewhere between the concrete and the wooden post. And then reversed straight back to the dock in a bit of um, filler and away we went. Mm -hmm. Carried on racing, so not not too damaged. But um, most importantly, did anyone see it? Yeah, well, there's <laughs> the funny thing is everyone was looking out to sea for the racing. Yeah. And then I hit it, so then there's people, I just remember hearing like women screaming and all, because this boat's just <laughs> T-boning the harbour right behind them. So I think... There's definitely, I couldn't remember what it's called, but there's definitely like a video and some guy managed to catch it all on YouTube but it's slow motion and everything. So thanks to whoever did that's, that. That's harsh. That's harsh. But, uh, yeah, it's all, uh, I think it's part of the territory. Like mm -hmm. it's, um, I was going to say it's not your boat, so it's not as <laughs> issue, but like, I think between all of us, the Artemis boats had a pretty, pretty tough life with all the mm -hmm. rookies learning how to sail <laughs> through them. And, yeah. you know, the boats, from far away look pretty good with the branding and stuff but you mm -hmm. can see them too up close and they've definitely had a few dings so yeah. I was just adding my my signature to it as well yeah <laughs> they've been worked hard yeah yeah definitely yeah. so your solo sailing career um was that after that did you come home and start working for the RYA or was there more between that um I went out and did like some super yacht stuff in the Caribbean and then you meet someone else on that boat who says, well, what do you do next week? Do you want to come and help us with the delivery? So I ended up doing, I think I've done three, three transatlantics, two, two back the way mm -hmm. and one to the Caribbean. Okay. Um, but again, I was listening to yeah, John Gilmore on there a few weeks ago and, mm -hmm. you know, they did it properly. Like I had air conditioning and Netflix the whole way across, so it wasn't wasn't that tedious it was like a 115 foot super yacht so yeah, it's pretty good yeah um, but even racing those boats you know mm -hmm. you're you're now doing a bit of damage control because you've now got a big heavy bit of kit that's got a lot of power in it yeah um, and it's going pretty quick still at times with other big heavy expensive bits and you've got rich owners who yes you got to entertain but in fairness it was the money you get you know the money is actually pretty good mm -hmm. but the lifestyle of you're away from home for like two months living out of a bag yeah um then you're home with no guarantee that you're going to have work again the next time because yeah. the owner just decides you've had enough or mm -hmm. um i mean i have lots of friends who did that boat then they would go go in australia for a hobart and some stuff down there and then they might go and do uh delivery back in another boat and then maybe some stuff in the med mm -hmm. and if you if you really sit down and sell yourself and put a whole season together as a pro sailor like there's a really good income
supplement lifestyle. Like there's definitely careers in it. Mm-hmm. But I think my I always did the ceiling for like obviously getting paid's good. Mm-hmm. Things cost money, but yeah. I was always there for am I getting better sailing? Am I enjoy am I putting enough into this boat? Like I got onto some pretty decent boats, but you're starting to find yourself in roles where it's just frustrating. You've got like so I did like some deliveries and some sailing on boats like Rambler. Mm-hmm. But you've got guys there who are you know, they've got medals around their necks, so you're like, okay, hats off, on you go, sir. And then other guys that have been there for so long, but actually, you know, you're probably better than that they full rank. And it's, there's a lot of, I find anyway, there's quite a bit of politics. So, you know, you're not there to be sailing anymore. You're there to try to earn your spot and do a bit of dubbing that guy. And heaven forbid your man gets sick because you're going to take his job and you might not get by the back and a bit of, you know, a bit of that. But, um, no, it's, it's an interesting industry. I think, um, I did enjoy it and it's good money, but it's just the on, Certainly, and even you know, getting a house when you want a mortgage, they want to yeah, know your, yeah. when you get paid per month. And I'm like, well, when I get back from the Caribbean, I could pay my whole mortgage off for the year if you want. Yeah. No, we don't like it like that. I'm like, right, well, okay, well, I can't show you my like pay slips and all that, yeah. all the other stuff. Yeah. You know, that's not how it works. I get paid yeah. a lot of money for that one month, and yeah. for two months, I don't get paid anything. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's almost like a conflict between the two two worlds. Only to sort of nearly bring it back to started was I'm nearly going oh I'm gonna be uh you know in Antigua or something next week that's really annoying because like the narrow series is on <laughs> like so people you come home and people are laughing or like oh that was amazing see so you're out in Antigua like that must be amazing I'm like yeah it's, it's crap like I miss Kelly Regatta yeah. like I was meant to be racing yeah. my own boat here if anyone doesn't know who or what the narrows are it's a <laughs> four day four day event down in the Port of Ferry at the end of Strangford Lock it's a good social scene yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, kind of I'd everyone rather, comes together. I would rather do something. that weekend over any other. Yeah. Like the only reason I'm not doing it is because I'm paid to go do something else. Yeah. But like even I'm, I'm getting paid to race somewhere, um, fancy or yeah. nice and stay in a plush hotel. But I'm like raging. Yeah. I'm not sleeping in some tent or some person's boat, um, with a few pints in. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So coming home, then um, your role now is uh, performance coach or manager. Uh, yeah, so I'm the performance manager for the RWA in, RWA in Northern Ireland. So RWA is obviously it's the Royal Yachting Association for all of UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got home countries like Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. So there'd be like five or six. But there's three home country performance managers and yeah. a few in England. Yeah. Um, so all your experience, all this experience you've shared so far, how did it come into play when you're... Or does it? It's, or do you try and? It's useful, but actually, in some ways, I find it a bit of a conflict because, so like, sailing has a few different disciplines. So if you look at sailing as being like athletics, mm-hmm. what you do like Olympic sailing is maybe like doing a hundred meter sprints. Mm-hmm. You've got the offshores like the marathon runners, uh, and then you might have, like, you've got these things like America's Cup and stuff that might be like doing like a one-off big event like a weightlifting competition or something they're all maybe like athletic sports but they're mm-hmm. actually a different sport themselves mm-hmm. and so our way's focus is on boating in general but like for the performance manager our pathways are pretty much geared towards Olympic sailing so yeah. they can if you're from Northern Ireland in one of our squads you're, you can compete for IRL with mm-hmm. our sailing or go to British sailing thing mm-hmm. um, which is fine you know where most of our funding sport NI so they're Commonwealth or Olympic, yeah, Olympic 
sailings.com well, so Olympics to go up. So that, that's fine. That's where the money comes from. That's what the that's what the drive is. Mm -hmm. But I do sometimes feel conflicted because I would acknowledge that like that pathway to get to the Olympics is such a big ask from people that you can't really deviate that much and that you've got to focus on it. But equally, there's a lot of people that go through that pathway who then maybe haven't experienced the other types of what sailing has to offer. So if that pathway doesn't work for them, they drop out of the sport altogether rather than yeah. just go into a different arena. Whereas yeah. I think I was lucky, not lucky at the time, but because I wasn't winning nationals and stuff in the major flat out, mm -hmm. I was doing other types of sailing on the side. And maybe it's because mm -hmm. I was doing other types of sailing, but I didn't win the nationals. So it's that yeah. kind of holistic are you in it for the sport and the level of pain on the water and the sailing, or are you really just focused that you want to get to games? And that's the that's even within work within our way with the squads. Like some of the guys who join our squads, like if they really admit to themselves that they don't want to do the Olympics. Like I don't I think um, this day and age with social media and things like it's not about going to the Olympics or certainly in the past you could maybe go to the Olympics as well as then doing your job mm -hmm. on the side. And when you've done your Olympics, it's like with another little sabbatical for a few months, mm -hmm. then you go back to work. Mm -hmm. Whereas now really, anyone who's at the Olympics, as much as it's an amateur event, apparently, you're definitely a professional sports person. Yeah. <laughs> like that's your job. And if it isn't your job, you ain't gonna cut it together. Yeah. So it's that balance of how much do we push, um, push and support the sailors to that level required, mm -hmm. but try not to take the fun out of it too mm -hmm. much. But also yeah. don't inject so much distractions and other things that they don't don't get to the level they need to get to the yeah. make it in the first place. And it's, I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I if we had um, if we cracked it, we'd have Olympic sailors. And mm -hmm. for a while now we haven't, so we obviously haven't got it right yet. Thinking of like uh, during the Olympics, Rio is Ryan and uh, Ryan and Matt. Matt, yeah. Um, the whole like this the sailing community around Northern Ireland kind of came out, you know, and. It was like every I remember the other brother being like, went to first race, you know, like it, oh, it yeah, was yeah. it was a really big thing for us, and I think um it's good that clubs have we're proud of people that do take it to that next level and can kind of promote yeah. them a bit, and uh like like I'm probably out of touch with like the current um sailors at the minute taking going for the campaigns, but um I'd like to think their clubs are again. You know, well, I think, I part think of them and promoting them, and that's probably you know that would actually be a frustration. I think is fair to say is there's so many of our sailors who have been doing Olympic campaigns, mm -hmm. like so. Yes, whenever we're at that, we're heyday winning races mm -hmm. at like international level. Like, mm -hmm. but I mean, those guys were good when they were good, mm -hmm. and not the women they were good, but you know when they were at it. Mm -hmm. Um. But I would imagine if you went to like even their home club and said, "What's Ryan up to now?" They probably couldn't tell you. Yeah. So there's, I think there's definitely a trend now that a lot of successful people from clubs don't necessarily actually come back to the home club maybe as much as it was back in mm -hmm. the good old days. And, you know, what we just talked about at the start, our parents doing most of the legwork. Mm -hmm. um, some of the sailors aren't coming back. And even when they get kids, they're only coming back then. And that's when you get a little yeah. spike where it's yeah. good. But um, clubs are doing their best to increase the sailing. But then there's a lot more non-sailing families come in, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But there's not as much. It needs to be then more parent education because back in the day we thought it was great at our club, but it was actually the parents did it. Yeah. 
and now you've got the parents coming to the club saying, well, we don't know what to do. Like, yeah. The club needs to do it. And I think there's just a yeah, clubs yeah. are clubs are realised that, but then it's you know SOIC even just down the road here is making good strides on that. But it's just um, you know it's a thankless task for somebody really, yeah. uh, and it's not going to get fixed next season. And then therefore, if the results don't come next year, oh, well that didn't work. We'll do something else. It's like well no, you need to what's the five year plan, you know? And by that point, five years time, the sailors aged out of the class and. It's too late then anyway, so you're nearly planning what to do this year for what's coming next. <laughs> yeah. So sounds a bit doom and gloom, doesn't it? Like sailing sailing in Northern Ireland's definitely the best sailing I've ever done. Put it that way. Are you being sarcastic? No, I'm not. Like <laughs> like it's funny, John said it as well on his podcast. Like whenever you when you finally come back into the narrows in the Stranford Lock, yeah. like hundred percent. I've not sailed in all the parts of the world, but anywhere I've sailed, like, yeah, that's class. Well, that's way warmer. The water here is, you know, crystal clear and turtles and all, whatever. But, like, Stranford Lock's just... It's unbelievable. I mean, it's definitely most... Uh, anywhere, I've, my opinion, it's most stunning coastline or place to play for a weekend that you can get. Like, you can spend a year touring around it and still not see every part of it. Absolutely. Um, which is, you know, the pro, but the con is then, like, how do we... How we make use of that and mm-hmm. get the racing scene going, or how can we get even more involved? Like I think what we're doing with the paddleboards, great, and the tours mm-hmm. to get more people from you know city people down for the weekend yeah. to experience what we're getting. I think it'd be like, beneficial for everyone, really. And then get them on a boat. And then get, get them on a boat, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just that balance of it is also like a bit of an unspoiled gem. So yeah. you don't want to hoard it to yourselves, but at the same no. time, I think that's where you got to be. Conscious of, you don't want to turn into a water sports arena and no, no. rubbish and litter and all the rest. And yeah. you know the reason it's so beautiful is the sea life and the nature. Yeah, and no. I think I think that's the balance of yeah. everything we do with the coasts. How can we enjoy it without also spoiling it? Spoiling it. Um, yeah. No, I think it's. Uh, it comes down to education. I think like Rory Martin um, is doing that during his. When he's getting people on the water, he's educating people, telling them. Uh, I like to think this podcast is doing it as well, if anyone's right. listening. But it is that thing of like, you know, okay, well, for everyone to enjoy the lock and we want to get people down, does that then take away from why it's so nice? Because it is unspoiled and wild and they're 100% rugged. Whereas if everything then starts getting literally red tape and flags and lights and stuff put on it, does that, does, yeah. does that take away from what the point is? So there we are. There's our environmental bits covered, are we? Sort of. <laughs> You know, you go on for days. And the dog's about to fall asleep. I know, I know. I've been talking too much. Sorry um, about that, buddy. <laughs> but, um, it was great to hear about your life, Tommy. Um, in particular, I enjoyed hearing about your core memories at the start. And then the solo sailing. I found that very intriguing because... I don't think I could. I don't think I could do it. it was, I love my sleep. But Harry, listen. Thanks very much for coming over for a catch up. Um, sorry, it's not on a Jurassic Vlogger, but sure, it would be. The camera wouldn't even work. No, well, it's like it's like I think we chatted before this. Like we need we need to get adventurous now. We need to try and do like a pre podcast thing and get out go out race and nearly maybe document a race or something like that and make a day off it. That's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, make a day off it. Absolutely, might try. And um, but listen, yeah, um, want to wish you all the best of luck with your performance role with the RA. Right, thank you very much, Sam.